Welcome back to the College Hoops Mania podcast. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and I'm here today for another college basketball podcast for you guys. It's the morning of December 28, 2020 as I'm recording this, and it's been five days since I've recorded my last podcast, and there's been a lot that's happened in that time period, so let's get right into this today. First off, I just want to touch on, like as many of you know, the Big Ten played four games on Christmas Day, and I hope that's a tradition that they can continue to do. Obviously, the you know basketball on Christmas Day is normally for the NBA, and college basketball doesn't really play on Christmas Day. It's normally a slate of zero games, and like in the basketball world, the focus is on the NBA on that day. However, this year, the Big Ten and the players in that conference voted and agreed upon playing on that day, and so they did. And it was really honestly really enjoyable to watch. And like I said, I hope it's something that they continue to do going forward. Honestly, I don't know if it was just like because the pandemic this year and not being able to go home. So this might just be a one-time thing. But either way, I hope it's something that the sport can continue to do to put college basketball games on Christmas Day. Whether that'll happen or not, I'm not really sure. Because like I said, it really could just be a result of the pandemic. And even though it was a success having the games this year, it might not work that way in the future because players will be going home to their families and may not prefer to play on Christmas Day. But besides that, I want to get right into the Big Ten because since I've recorded my last podcast, a lot of crazy news and results have happened in the Big Ten. First off, I want to talk about Northwestern. When I recorded my last podcast, Northwestern was 1-0 in the Big Ten with an upset win against Michigan State. You know, with with the upset win, you don't really know how to take that, and you're just like, okay, is this more about Northwestern, or is it more about Michigan State? Most people probably thought it was more about Michigan State, just playing a bad game, you know, it happens. But now, Northwestern played two games since then, and they're now 3-0, and those wins being against Indiana and Ohio State, and they're now 3-0 in the Big Ten for the first time since 1967 and 1968. Chris Collins got them to their first tournament a couple years ago in school history, and he is on the right track to get them back in the NCAA tournament for the second time in school history. I just want to talk about Northwestern a little bit. Like, they're 3-0 in the Big Ten. They really didn't play a good non-conference schedule. They lost to Pitt by one. Their other three wins are irrelevant. And so Northwestern is now 6-1 overall, 3-0 in the league, like I said, which their strength of schedule, I'm not really sure what it is, but it has to be pretty low because of the non-conference schedule. But I was looking at their Ken Palm and like computer numbers, and they're still like 52 in Ken Palm, which means like the computers still aren't like loving Northwestern. But just like looking at Northwestern, watching them play basketball, I think what makes them very difficult is the fact that they have so many options. Because if you look at the Michigan State game, it was boo-boo you hurt them. You dropped 30 on them. And then the next game against Indiana, it was Chase Audige. It was the Chase Audige story. He hit big shot after big shot late. And then Ohio State on Saturday, it was Miller Cop who went off against Ohio State. Many people expected Miller Cop to be their best player coming into this year. It's just, I mean, I wouldn't say Northwestern has a clear best player. They just have a really balanced attack. I didn't even mention Pete Nance. Like, Nance has been pretty consistent this year providing really good minutes for them and some versatility for them. But yeah, the balanced attack of Northwestern makes them very difficult. Now, like, their outlook in the Big Ten, I I talked about in the last podcast. 
and I said like 12th or 13th because I mean I think Nebraska will end up getting 14th and then they're right around there at the end of the mix with Minnesota who ended up beating Iowa so I mean we'll talk about Minnesota later and then like Penn State down there Maryland so I said they'd be 12th or 13th now they have now they're three on the Big Ten and picked up two wins that I didn't necessarily expect them to get. I think they do have a they have a real possibility to finish top ten in the conference, and because I mean a three and zero start like nobody in the conference may start three and zero outside of them in their first three games. Wisconsin, I'm not sure if Wisconsin has played three games yet in the conference. Obviously, Wisconsin just came off of the Michigan State win. Let me check on that real quick. I believe Wisconsin's only played two conference games, but I'm not entirely sure. And let's see, Wisconsin, yep, I'm right. They're 2-0 and in the league. Michigan's also 2-0 and in the league. So neither of those have played three games. Illinois has played four games. Rutgers played three games. Every other team that has played at least three games has a loss in the conference outside Northwestern. So yeah, the fact that they're 3-0, I mean, gives them a real shot to finish top 10, and I will take back, I think they will finish higher than 12th or 13th, which I mean is easy to say now after what they just did, but it's true, like, Northwestern has a really balanced attack, and game planning for them is hard because they play team basketball, like, they, they have a solid offense, they have a solid defense. They're not terrific on either end of the floor, but they make you work on both ends of the floor and do it at a pretty efficient rate on both ends of the floor so congrats to northwestern fans congrats to the cats fans out there three on the big 10 awesome start for them northwestern maybe they'll be back in the tournament for a second time in school history more big 10 news i just first off before i keep going on i just want to say the big like every big 10 team out there wisconsin iowa it doesn't matter who you are no matter who you are playing or where you're playing there are no nights off in this conference this year there is no better conference in America, top to bottom. It is amazing. I mean, they have a real chance to break the NCAA tournament record for most bids in a conference. The ACC has it right now at 10, 10 teams making it from their conference in a year. Can they get 11? I mean, I'm not sure if 11 is really possible, but I, I'm, I will tell you 11 will definitely be under consideration at least, and I'm pretty confident that they will at least tie the ACC record with 10. This conference is ridiculous top to bottom, and teams will just be beating up on each other all year long. But next up, I want to talk about the result that we saw in Minneapolis, where Minnesota beat Iowa in overtime 102-95. Iowa's up 7 with 44 seconds left in regulation. Marcus Carr hit a 3 to end up sending it to overtime, and in overtime, Minnesota just pretty much controlled it. Brandon Johnson off the bench hit five threes for them and hit really big shots down the stretch, but I really just want to talk about Marcus Carr and the strides he's making. Marcus Carr is now averaging 25 points, six rebounds, four assists a game. In the last podcast, I was talking about Ron Harper and Rutgers a lot. I said Ron Harper is the Big Ten Player of the Year not named Luca Garza. I want to take that back, and it's no disrespect to Ron Harper because he has terrific numbers as well, but Marcus Carr is just putting up absurd numbers. Marcus Carr is definitely the Big Ten player that you're not named Luka Garza at the moment. Like, Ron Harper can still pass it, but I kind of expect 
Marcus Carr to continue at that rate because he has less, you know, of a support system around him than Ron Harper does. And Geo Baker's now back too. I think Geo Baker will start taking more and more shots as the year goes on and his, as he gets more confident since he just got back. But yeah, Marcus Carr's numbers and what he's doing for Minnesota is amazing. It was an amazing win against Iowa and a come, behind, come from behind win late to steal one at home against Iowa. And I was talking about Big Ten Player of the Year. Let's look at the National Player of the Year race. Like everyone thinks Luka Garza is the favorite, but if you look at like the the candidates for it, the Big Ten has like they have four like four of the top candidates in the country for it. Like Luka Garza, Trace Jackson Davis, who I hadn't mentioned yet, and then the other two guys that I have mentioned previously, Ron Harper and Marcus Carr. Like there's not a lot of other guys that are better candidates than those guys. The Big Ten is just loaded team-wise and player-wise this year. Obviously, other guys, I would say, that are up for the National Player of the Year. Like, Gonzaga probably has two of them with Suggs and Kispert. And I would say Baylor with Jared Butler. There's some other candidates out there, but, like, those are probably the top guys in the country. And the Big Ten has four of them. It's pretty amazing what that conference is putting out there this year. The Big Ten Conference as a whole is making every matchup, no matter who's playing each other, must-watch television. However, getting next, getting to the next matchup to talk about in the Big Ten, because I, I have quite a few matchups to talk about in the Big Ten, is Wisconsin-Michigan State, which was also on Christmas Day. Wisconsin beat Michigan State in East Lansing, 85-76. And a really interesting statistic that I found on Wisconsin is that they are only one of two teams that are top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. And that other team is Baylor. Wisconsin is fourth on Ken Palm overall. And the fact that they're top 10 in offense and defense is spectacular. Demetrius Trice has really just been so terrific for them. He had, I believe, 29 against Michigan State. What's been really interesting for the point guard is that he has one point, he's averaging 1.1 turnovers per game. That is such a small number for a point guard and a guy that has the ball in his hands that much. Demetrius Trice is making big strides for Wisconsin and his improvements have really made a difference in the success that Wisconsin has seen this year. And I mean, obviously like they're, re- they're returning everybody pretty much and Reavers and um, Potter are versatile big men that help them a lot and people talk about them a lot. People don't talk about Demetrius Trice as much as them. And Demetrius Trice needs to be talked about more. Because the most important attribute for a point guard is to take care of the ball. And that's exactly what Demetrius Trice has done for Wisconsin this year. And you see how like efficient they've been offensively. Like Demetrius Trice organizes the offense. He doesn't give like he doesn't give the ball away. And that's so important for them. 1.1 turnover game, like I said earlier, that's terrific for a point guard. His ability to take care of the ball has took Wisconsin from being a really good team to being an elite team. And I'll say it now, I believe Wisconsin will finish first in the Big Ten regular season, and they will be Big Ten champs at the end of this year. The reason I like them more than the other teams, like I, I think Iowa had just it won't be consistent enough on the defensive end to win, you know, over the course of a long regular season to win the Big Ten. I just think Wisconsin's better than Rutgers, especially offensively. I think they're better than Rutgers. And I, I'm not a big believer in Michigan State at this point. The only other team that I really th- believe has a real shot to win it 
and take it from Wisconsin is Illinois. I still really like Illinois and the star power that they have. However, at this point, Wisconsin has proved to look better and be more consistent than Illinois, on especially the defensive end. Wisconsin's a better defensive team than Illinois is. So right now, I really do think Wisconsin's the best team in the Big Ten and that they'll win the Big Ten title at the end of this year. The next Big Ten result that I want to touch on is the Illinois game. Illinois beat IU in Champaign 69-60 in a back-and-forth game. IU with that loss drops to 5-4. and four. If you look at IU and if you watch their games this year, Trace Jackson Davis is an All-American. He's looked amazing, but their guards are just so subpar. Al Durham doesn't take care of the ball. He takes bad shots. Finnessy just hasn't gotten better. Like He can't really create for himself. He's He doesn't really make a lot of mistakes, but he doesn't really do a lot of good things. Armand Franklin's been the bright spot in the backcourt for IU. Armand Franklin is one of the most improved players in the country. Armand Franklin hit big shots against Illinois on Saturday. But, I mean, he was he's really the only shot maker. And that's what, that's what makes Indiana really struggle. They just don't open up the floor enough because they don't have shot making ability. Armand Franklin's a really good shooter. And outside of him, they don't really have great shooters on the team. Like Trey Galloway is not really a threat. Fantasy just doesn't really shoot a lot. Al Durham is not that much of a threat. Christian Lander has not made the three consistently at all. I mean, he shoots them, but he shot it really poorly this year. Outside of Armand Franklin, I mean, they don't really have the ability to open up the floor. And Trace Jackson Davis has still had a great year despite that, but, like, it makes it really tough for him in there with, you know, the guards of the opposing team just being able to dig down on him. And every time he's putting the ball on the floor, he's going to have scrappy guards coming in and trying to take the ball away from him. He doesn't really have a lot of room to operate down there. And until IU starts making shots and proving to teams that you got to guard them from the perimeter, they're going to struggle offensively. Like, it, it was the same story as it was last year. I, Indiana's a good defensive team. I, they, they make teams struggle on the offensive end. But when they play offense, it gets real ugly, and they don't really get a lot of good shots. Trace ends up trying to take shots that he shouldn't be taking. I mean, you saw in the Illinois game, he started taking some lefty hooks from a lot further away than he was comfortable with, and as a result, bad misses. Armand Franklin opens up the floor for Indiana, and that's about it, and that's their issue. Indiana needs shooting, and they need to have the ability to make open shots. However, on the flip side of that game, Illinois really did find their stride in the second half. Io Desunmu hit huge shots. But what I found interesting when watching this game is Illinois found a lineup in the second half, a lineup that they don't really use that often. Underwood doesn't use that often. He normally uses Coburn. Like, Coburn's the only big out there, and he uses Bishanishvili as the only big out there. He normally just subs them for each other. However, a lot of that second half, he was operating with both Coburn and Bishanishvili on the floor at the same time. And what you saw was a lot of, like, he would use them both in, like, double screens or he'd have them at the he'd have them both at the elbow or he'd have them both on like a double drag screen at the top of the key and he would usually end up having Bashanishvili pop up to the top of the key and right when Bashanishvili would receive the ball at the top of the key Coburn would you know pin you know pin his man down underneath the hoop and get real good positioning at the basket which made it for easy layups for Coburn, and that happened multiple times. Bashanshvili had a couple assists that I saw to Coburn from that. 
So that's a lineup that I wonder if Brad Underwood will continue to go with because when he found that lineup in the second half, Indiana really struggled to slow him down. It was easy baskets right around the rim. Coburn was getting great positioning, and Indiana just couldn't contain him. And like I said earlier, Io was just hitting huge shots. Like one one time, it was kind of lucky. Like Io took a or Io uh, took a shot that got blocked. He goes and gets it back and puts it right back up and hits a three at the end of the shot clock. Like it was stuff like that. I mean, Dasumu was just awesome in that game. Illinois, though, like their offense is just so fun to watch because when they use Dasunmu and Coburn. When they use Curbelo in Coburn, when they use Curbelo in Bashanshvili in ball screens, you know what I'm saying? When they use their big guy with Dasunmu or Curbelo, good things happen. And UC Underwood has continued to go with more Andre Curbelo and less Adam Miller. Adam Miller started this year on a huge high, you know, making threes consistently. As the years went on, Adam Miller has gotten significantly less time, he's making less shots, and he is not really providing a lot of help to Illinois to be honest with you and so you see Underwood playing him less because of it but yeah Illinois offensively is just a joy to watch like they're just lethal in the pick and roll their bigs are so good they they're so good with angles knowing where to be pinning their guy deep getting great positioning Coburn Bishanishvili is just amazing they're really fun to watch and the fact that Underwood has the uh the luxury to bring Bishanishvili off the bench says wonders about that team. So yeah, Illinois is a really good basketball team, and I think they're the second best team in the Big Ten behind Wisconsin. A close second, but yeah, impressive win for Illinois because they struggled in the first half, and then in the second half, it was it was close for a while, and they found themselves able to pull away eventually. But as I said earlier, talking about the Big Ten possibly being able to get eleven teams, pretty unlikely that that happens. I mean, it's it's it might be rather impossible for that to happen. <laughs> Eleven of fourteen teams in a conference getting in that NCAA tournament, that'd be insane. But it will be interesting to see how the committee views Big Ten teams that have bad conference records. You know, that are three, four games below five hundred in Big Ten play, but the computers think they're a really good basketball team. So it'll be interesting to see how the committee values that and how much they listen to the computers, the eye test. Or, you know, they'll say record matters and you can't be that far below 500 in your own conference to make the NCAA tournament. So it'll be interesting to see how the committee handles that because there's no doubt about it. There's going to be Big Ten teams that are three games below 500 in conference play that are really good basketball teams. It's just the, the conference is just so tough top to bottom. You're going to have, you know, you could, you could have Indiana three games below 500 I think most people would agree that that's definitely an NCAA tournament level team, but what do you do if a team like Indiana's three games below 500? That'll be what's interesting to see going forward. Okay, enough Big Ten talk. I mean, I just talked about the Big Ten for about 20 minutes, but getting past the Big Ten now, Gonzaga and Virginia played Saturday. This score ended up being 98-75, Gonzaga winning. And the game was never close. Like it, Gonzaga just got off hot early. They never slowed down. Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy were phenomenal. Gonzaga, honestly, they have three All-Americans. Like Drew Timmy, Jalen Suggs, and Corey Kispert. Those are three All-Americans right there. And it's hard to imagine a team ever slowing Gonzaga down. Like 
they just scored 98 points on Virginia. Virginia plays slower than any other team in America. And it's not just they play slow. They have a great defense, too. And Gonzaga put up 98 points on them rather easily. Like, Gonzaga is just so overwhelming for teams. Like, that offense is just ridiculous. Three All-Americans? I don't, I don't think people can really disagree with that either. They now have handled three good teams, that being Virginia, Kansas, and Iowa. And West Virginia is the only team to really give them a game. And you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt because Jalen Suggs, didn't even play in that whole game. People thought he tore his Achilles at one point in the game. Luckily, that didn't happen. But yeah, like Gonzaga has four great wins at this point. They are the best offensive team in the country, and it's not close. And the general consensus is that they're also the best team in the country, and it's not close. Now, you you can disagree with that and say Baylor's right there with them. I don't think we really know that yet because Baylor hasn't really played the game. They, Baylor's played Illinois, and that's it, really, to tell us anything. Gonzaga's played already four really good teams. Now, if those teams would have would have ended up playing each other, then we would obviously known. And they talked about rescheduling that. I'm guessing that is not going to happen as we're going into conference play now. I haven't heard anything. That's just I, that's my assumption. But Gonzaga's just overwhelming, like. It's just it's fun to watch them play because they can give up a basket, and it's like they're still running a break in transition. Like they can, they'll give up a layup, and then they'll just go get a layup back on you. Like they are so fast, it's amazing. Like they grab a rebound and they just have guys sprinting up the sidelines, and the rebounder just gives excellent outlet passes. Like the team's just always in sync. And they're just, like I said, they're just so fast. They're faster than everybody. They lead the nation in transition points, and that is not going to change. I think what went under the radar about this win, obviously people know Virginia is a good team, but like a week ago before this game, they played Iowa. Iowa is a polar opposite play style of what Virginia is. They played Iowa, and they they handled them easily. They didn't dominate them like they dominated Virginia, but they still handled them, handled them easily. They're up 21 point in that game. And then a week later, they play the total opposite team. They, they get done with Iowa. Iowa plays fast, you know, bad defense, amazing offense. Now they play Virginia. Virginia slows the tempo down. They play great defense. They want to play in the half court. You know, their offense isn't as good. And Gonzaga just has no problem. It's officially really scary for the rest of college basketball and for teams that have to come across Gonzaga because Gonzaga just handled both play styles that are polar opposites with ease. They have no problems, no matter what you bring to them. Like, West Virginia gave them problems, but it was honestly like West Virginia just making shots. Like, Kansas made a lot of shots on them too. Iowa ended up making a lot of shots. But all those teams still couldn't win even like and even Iowa still lost by double digits Kansas still lost by double digits you can still make shots on them but you can't slow them down they don't appear to have a weakness and you you just can't make them play in the half court consistently like you can say game planning going into the game you're like okay you have to slow down the Gonzaga transition which is obvious all coaches playing them are going to talk about that and pinpoint that hard but then you get in games and what team has been able to do that? No teams. Gonzaga gets down the floor faster than anybody. 
and they move the ball faster than anybody. The ball does not stick on that team. It's constantly flying around. Gonzaga's offense is a joy to watch, and I definitely think they're the best team in the country. I think it's hard to really tell about Baylor yet. Like I said, they really only played Illinois. Gonzaga's already played four really good teams. I think Baylor is the second best team in the country, and I think they can play with Gonzaga. Like, I mean, Iowa and Kansas kind of played with Gonzaga. West Virginia did play with Gonzaga. But I, I think it's pretty clear that Gonzaga has a better offense than Baylor, and they their defense is probably comparable with Baylor as well. So Gonzaga is the best team in the country, and I don't really see how people can disagree with that at this point. And something else that I really haven't been hearing people talk about about this Gonzaga team, Cord Kispert is definitely an NBA talent. Like, this guy's a senior now, and he's came back to school because he didn't think he would be drafted if he would decide to go to the NBA. He is definitely an NBA talent. He's a 6'7 wing who shoots the ball extremely well. Like, his form is so crisp. And, see, I would say, like, he's... You know, similar to like Duncan Robinson, because like they both shoot it really well. They they're both you know they have decent uh, size, but like Kisper has you know craftiness to his game. He can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. Duncan Robinson can't really do that. Like he's a better Duncan Robinson in my opinion, and I don't understand why Corey Kisper wasn't necessarily looked at as a pro before, but I am pretty sure that NBA scouts have to be you know, all in on him at this point because he has shown what he can do this year as he's been just tremendous for Gonzaga, and he was tremendous on Saturday as well. On the flip side of this game, looking at Virginia, like, you don't, you're never concerned when you lose to Gonzaga this year because this Gonzaga team is as good of a team as we've seen in a while, but I was looking, and Virginia is now 11 in defense on Ken Palm, which is the lowest since 2013 for them. And not only that, but like they have two losses now, and Gonzaga is really the only good team they've played. And like Gonzaga is almost a guaranteed loss for anybody, but they still did lose to San Francisco, and they went into overtime against Kent State. Virginia has real question marks. It appears that their defense isn't as good as it's been in recent years. And if their defense isn't going to be top-notch, it doesn't appear that their offense is necessarily much better than it's been in recent years either. So Virginia does have real question marks. They were a preseason top-five team. They don't look anywhere near that. Virginia is going to, and Tony Bennett's going to have to figure stuff out quick. Obviously, they were on pause for a little while. Virginia's next game is on Wednesday against Notre Dame. We'll see how they look in that game. But... Virginia defensively doesn't seem as good like Sam Hauser doesn't necessarily seem like the defensive fit that Virginia's had there they've had you know big guys that play a lot better defense and are just like lethal in defensive ball screens and Sam Hauser's not really that guy Sam Hauser's more of an offensive minded guy and so we'll see if Virginia ends up being a dominant defense like they're still 11th in the country and obviously that's still a great defense but we're used to seeing them being like no worse than a top five defense. Like 2014 to 2020, those those six seasons, they were top five in defense every year. Five was the lowest. This is the lowest they've been since 2013 defensively. So I think that's what that's like a big question mark for Virginia. 
if their trademark isn't their trademark this year, how good are they really going to be? Now they can still be good and win the AC- and win the ACC because the ACC is not really all that good. But Virginia is definitely not a top five team in a team that people necessarily expected them to be going into the year. Another game on Saturday outside of the Gonzaga. Virginia game that we saw was Louisville, Kentucky, the in-state rivalry. You had five and one Louisville, one and five Kentucky playing each other. And the result, 61-58 Louisville in the Yum Center. Kentucky falls to one and six. Louisville improves to six and one. I mean, obviously the major headline is that Kentucky is now one and six. They're just buried dead in the water, it appears. Calipari did go back to ask you a point guard and it actually benched Terrence Clark for the first time this season. He did change Terrence Clark to the point guard for one game where Clark ended up getting or putting up zero assists to three turnovers in the game against Carolina, so he went back to Devin Askew pretty quick. Uh, I think something that's interesting that we saw is both Louisville and Kentucky didn't have a single player who scored a point Saturday, score a point in the game in the prior season against each other like both teams had nobody that played the previous year against each other playing this game on saturday and if you looked at the game the two best players in this game were davion mintz and carly jones davion mintz was a creighton transfer came off the bench and carly jones is a radford transfer like louisville and kentucky the best two players in this game were transfers from radford and Creighton and the Creighton transfer came off the bench at Creighton so it's it's kind of funny and weird just because I mean Kentucky's a blue blood program Louisville's like a borderline blue blood program and both programs just don't look that great at the moment obviously Kentucky has a lot more problems than Louisville has um but at the end of the game Olivier Sar actually did miss the same jumper from the same spot that he missed against Notre Dame both jumpers would have won it for Kentucky, and he missed them both. So it was actually kind of sad to watch because Olivia Sar had the same spot to redeem himself from the Notre Dame game, but he ends up missing it in this moment too. If you look at Kentucky, I mean, shooting just continues to be a da- disaster for them. I'm not really going to talk about them too much. People know at this point they don't have good point guard play. They turn the ball over a lot, and they don't make shots. Like It just makes for a bad basketball team. They're now 1-6. I didn't believe that they would ever get to this point. I'm not sure what Calipari does or how he goes about it with this group, but the SEC really isn't all that great this year. There's not that many opportunities. It would take a miracle, a miracle run in the SEC for Kentucky to make the NCAA tournament because one six is a huge hole to get out of. But yeah, I'm not going to touch too much on that game. I'll move on here to the DePaul Providence game, which was really the The biggest game of the slate on Sunday, DePaul ends up losing to Providence 95-90 in double overtime. It was a crazy game. A.J. Reeves for Providence hit a three to send it to overtime, and then Providence ends up winning it by five in double overtime, like I said. This was just DePaul's second game of the season. The first game was against Western Illinois in a game they won. But looking, I just want to talk about DePaul a little bit here. Jalen Butts hasn't didn't play in uh, either of the first two games for them, so getting him back will help. He's a 10-point-per-game score from the previous year, five rebounds. But from what I saw about DePaul, they used Charlie Moore kind of like Michigan State used Cassius Winston. They put him in a lot of ball screens, and like 
he has the ball most of the time. He dribbles around for a lot of the shot clock. And he he does well in ball screens, but obviously the difference between him and Cassius is Cassius wouldn't turn the ball over. Charlie Moore on six turnovers against Providence. The turnover issue is a problem for Charlie Moore, and he needs to cut that down if DePaul wants to be good and compete in the Big East. Turnovers really hurt DePaul the whole night. I think Romeo Weems looked awesome for DePaul and should probably start for them. He came off the bench. He shot 8 for 10 from the field. He was a previous uh, fairly high-touted recruit. He was a high four-star. He actually chose DePaul over Michigan State, and so that was a big get for Dave Lato. But yeah, Romeo Weems looked really good. They have Javon Freeman Liberty, the Valpo transfer. He looks good. DePaul just looks like they don't necessarily have a lot of scoring options. That's why, like I said, getting Jalen Butts will help, and he's more he's a bigger guy that can score for them. Right now it's just a lot of guards. Romeo Williams is a forward, but it's a lot of liberty and more scoring the basketball for them. So getting Jalen Butts back and another scorer will help. But looking at the Big East as a whole, I was just kind of looking at them today. It's it's pretty it's pretty big gap in my opinion. It it the first like at the top tier it's Villanova all by themselves, and then it drops, and then it's Creighton, it's Creighton all by themselves, and then after that it's just like a mess of teams, and these teams will finish in whatever order. Who knows what'll happen? Like Seton Hall, Marquette, Xavier, UConn, Providence, DePaul might be in this category, but like there's just a lot of teams close, and the Big East will be pretty interesting. It'll be a battle this whole year not really sure how many bids like Villanova and Creighton are definitely going to get bids in my opinion I think Xavier has a real good shot at getting a bid I think UConn can get there Seen Hall Marquette Providence I think can all get there I think the Big East is end up looking at maybe about a five bid league this year they could probably get five five of eleven of the teams getting in I think like I said Villanova Creighton locks I will guess the, the other three teams that'll end up making it for them are Seton Hall I think Seton Hall will make it. I think UConn will make it and I think Marquette will end up making it. That's hard for me to put Xavier out right now. Like even though they had the great start to the year, they still don't really have any quality wins. They do have the Cincinnati win, but Cincinnati we've found has kind of been losing to everybody. So yeah, those are the five teams I'm gonna pick from the Big East. With Xavier being right there on the border, I think the Big East could get six, but I think five is the likely number for that conference this year. But okay. I'm going to try to conclude this podcast up here soon, and as you guys know, I like to end the podcast by picking games, and so I have a few games that I'm going to pick uh, for upcoming games this week. First off, I'm going to pick Michigan State at Minnesota on Monday in Minneapolis. Minnesota coming off the Iowa win, Michigan State coming off back-to-back losses to Northwestern and Wisconsin. I will pick Michigan State in this game. Even though I have said a lot of bad things about Michigan State, about how I think they are overrated and that their defense has really struggled, I do think Izzo won't allow them to lose three games in a row. Like th- this is a pr- this is a toss up. It is at Minnesota, and Minnesota has proved to be really good. Like I said, the Iowa win. Marcus Carr is a terrific player, but I will take Michigan State in this game. Hopefully, that they can get you know more consistency out of their players. Because that's been kind of what they've been missing is consistency from the players. So they just need to get consistent play from the guys that are supposed to be contributing for them. And I will take Michigan State in that game. Next up, we have Florida State at Clemson. 
Clemson has been one of the best defensive teams in the country. Florida State's been a little inconsistent as well. Scotty Barnes, a terrific freshman. He's been kind of all over the place for them at the point guard position for them. And they have struggled to score at times this year. I will pick Clemson in this game for that reason. They're, they're also at home, but I think Florida State will continue to struggle to score at times, and Clemson's defense will be a little too much for them. So I got Clemson in this game. Next up, we have North Carolina at Georgia Tech on Wednesday. North Carolina really struggling to shoot the ball. Georgia Tech, you know, they had two tough losses to start the year to Mercer and Georgia State. They kind of bounced back after that. I think North Carolina, though, coming off the NC State loss, I'm going to pick them to bounce back in this game. They're two bigs with Baycott and Brooks, and then they had Dayron Sharp off the bench as well, Walker Kessler as well. I think their front court will be too much for Georgia Tech. Carolina's backcourt will make enough shots. Caleb Love and uh, Karun, Walton, Karun Walton's been making more shots for them lately, so I will pick Carolina to win that game. And then the last game I'm going to pick is Tennessee at Missouri, which are the only two ranked SEC teams at the moment. Like I said in a previous podcast, I think Tennessee is actually the third best team in the country. And so with that being said, I'm definitely going to take Tennessee in this game. They just have too much firepower and a combination of that with experience. They're way more athletic than Missouri, and I think that'll be the difference in this game. So I will take Tennessee to win in Columbia and beat Missouri on Wednesday in the SEC showdown of maybe the best two teams in the conference. With that being said, this will be the conclusion of the College Hoops Mania podcast. I appreciate you listening, and I'll be back soon with another podcast for you guys. See ya.